And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Welcome back, everybody. The GP season may well have finished, but we've got some questions from you who've been listening over the past season. We're going to answer some with myself, Toby Moody, Simon Patterson and Valentin Harunchi. Um, are you wintering well so far, Val? You've had a haircut, I can tell you that. Uh, yeah, okay, great, great audio content for all the listeners <laughs> that I had a haircut. Uh, it looks great. They can't check, so I look I look like a proper stud now. But yeah, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what wintering means necessarily, like hibernating, I guess. But no, not really. I mean the the Ferrari F1 team boss just got sacked today, so I'm having to work a fair bit. So there's that. He didn't get sacked, he resigned. MotoGP has been surprisingly um, quiet on the news front so far, so there, there hasn't been much in the way of breaking news, apart from a uh, friend of the podcast, Danilo Petrucci, signing a World Superbike deal for next season. Um, so I have I have been hibernating a little bit, I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, it's quite cold in Ireland at the minute. Yes, it's a uh, it's a misty, foggy day here in the UK, but uh, but we remember sunnier days with some questions that we've had from the past season. Um, let's kick off. Well, maybe from a winter wonderland at the moment. It's from Sweden. Hi there. I just want to say that uh, you're probably the best MotoGP podcast out there. I'm a French guy. I can say with with an accent. I'm a French guy living in uh, Sweden, and uh, I have only one question for you. Is VR46 or Valentino the main reason that Morbidelli isn't doing as good as he could be? Uh, let me explain this one. After his uh, successful year when he came second, Morbidelli, I believe it was 2019, he got uh, Valentino as his uh, teammate the, for the next two years, and or one year. But I believe that uh, VR46 is also managing Morbidelli. But being Valentino, they made sure that uh, Valentino got the best bike. And I believe that that put Morbidelli in a very bad position and uh, put him in the spin that is right now. That was my question. Hey, Dan. Um, I, I really don't think so. I really don't think that Franco Morbidelli is still being hamstrung by the fact that he was passed over for a factory spec Yamaha uh, for the start of 2021, even though it was unfair. He should have had it performance level over Valentino Rossi. But the thing is, even though that 2019 bike was already quite outdated by that point, you can see it in his results and his you know performances dipping compared to the runner-up spot in 2020. But that's still the bike he likes more than the current one. You could you could hear you know undertones in, in many of Franco Morbidelli's sessions over the course of this year that the current Yamaha he does not like as much as that 2019 bike that he had in you know 2019 2020 and start of 2021. We we don't know what the real culprit is to his decline from for Franco. It's always been bike adaptation. I think that's what he has always been saying. But there's also the factor of the knee surgery. But it's you know it's not being passed over for for the work spec bike at the start of 2021. Um, thanks for the kind words about the podcast, Dan. Um, I I think that actually being a part of VR46 has probably aided him more than it has hurt him in terms of of where he is and and what he's uh what he's saved more than what he's gained. I guess is the best way to put it because I think a rider with his performance this season in that team in a slightly with a different manager would maybe have been more at risk than Morbidelli was even when things were looking really really bad um so I, I think maybe there's a little bit of a cushion because you know we, we think Yamaha are still trying to 
recruit Valentino to run their satellite team in the future and and that you you don't do that by burning bridges the other thing is that whenever you talk to Franco the one thing that's kept him motivated kept him upbeat this year has been in large part how fast he is whenever they still go training at the ranch and I think that without that benchmark every week of of you know struggling in a MotoGP race, but then going to the VR46 ranch and being as quick, if not quicker, than Bagnaia and Marini and Bezeki has really helped keep his confidence up. So no, I, I think uh, for multiple reasons, it's helped him rather than hindered him. Yeah, e- even if the factory spec was better than the 2019, and for Morbidelli, I think that's proven conclusively not the case. But even if it was. That's a relatively small price to pay for the VR46 patronage. Not to sound, you know, not to sound overly grateful, I guess, on his behalf. But I think I think that's fair to say. Yeah, on balance, it's better to be in that VR46 uh, circle than not, isn't it? Uh, it's not necessarily always the answer, see Bastianini. But uh, as a rule, it's better to be in than out. Um, yeah, I didn't know about him being quicker on the on the at the ranch than than on the racetrack. Um, unfortunately, it's not the American Flat Track Racing Championship, but uh, it's good to keep the the spirit up and that knee. You know, we've seen it with with football, with with your other love, Val, and cycling with. Simon and my love as well and when people have got a bad knee and when he tried to stand up at Le Mans a couple of years ago and he couldn't because his knee just gave way we all felt the pain of oh dear um, and that just nags you and you can throw all the money in the world at it but it wasn't right and arguably it's still not right arguably it's still not right so uh, let's see how that one shakes out uh, thank you dan uh, let's now go over the border hi this is elisa from finland and i had a question relating to the 2022 performance of the tech three boys so both raul and remy were exceptional in Moto two the previous year but this year in Moto gp they didn't perform so well but they were again really close to each other so what's the reason what do you think is the reason that they didn't perform so well and relative to the factory team who were second in the team's championship? Is just experience or lack of motivation or is the bike development different for the satellite team? Or what do you think is the reason for the lack of results? Hey, Lisa, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, there, there's a few different factors at play here. Uh, the first of them being definitely that the the bike development didn't keep up to pace with the factory bikes um with the two red bull ktms they i think by the end of the year they were on bikes that weren't maybe hugely different but for sure everything arrived a lot slower for for them than it did for brad bender and less so for miguel Oliveira once it became apparent that he wasn't going to be there next year but definitely the there was a huge gap between their bikes and binders by the end of the year but honestly, I think the, the real reason for the performance issues there this year weren't technical. Um, we saw a dip from Remy Gardner in terms of motivation, basically as soon as it was announced that he wasn't going to be there next year. Um, you know, K- KTM sacked the guy for not being professional enough and everyone was a bit surprised at that. And then it almost became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy as his motivation just fell away completely uh and then on the other side of the carriage you know Raul Fernandez never really wanted to be there in the first place we know that he was essentially strong-armed in to go into that team by some political shenanigans behind the scenes when he would rather have been in a Yamaha and there was a, a Yamaha offer on the table um so yeah I think the the technical factor is is the least of the issues the motivation of the two riders for two different reasons played a much greater role in in what we saw there. Um, it is worth noting that they didn't have an absolutely terrible year despite the results, especially whenever you look at the distance between them and Miguel Oliveira, who was most normally the second KTM on a regular basis. It wasn't huge, especially towards the end of the year, but uh, it obviously wasn't their amazing Moto2 season from the year before. Yeah, I'm- 
I'm not with Simon on that one. I think it was an absolutely terrible year. I think it was a, a complete waste of blood, sweat, and tears for for 12 months, unfortunately. And this is with no ill will towards towards either gentleman, of course. You know, we had Remy on the pod, and we're we deeply enjoyed our conversation with him. There was some weird stuff going on in the speed traps, like looking at the data. Those bikes, the Tech Three ones, were strangely slow on the on the main straight, and Remy alluded to that multiple times after being, you know, ditched by KTM. For me, you know, what, what Simon says, obviously, I think motivation clearly did play a part for, for both of them. I, I can't imagine otherwise. Motivation and self-preservation, not wanting to be, you know, the KTM bike can throw you off and it can bite hard. Raul Fernandez found that out on multiple occasions this season. So I think there was some self-preservation going on. But also just generally, the peaks I don't think were enough. So there's, for me, there's two possible explanations. One is either the bike was technically not all there, and significantly so. And two is, as as Elisa points out, because they were still close to each other, whether they're just not all that, and they, they don't quite have it to be on that top tier in MotoGP. And, you know, we have to, we have to consider both possibilities, unfortunately, but we don't, we don't know right now. The comparison has been, has been skewed. I hope, I hope for their sakes that the correct explanation is the technical level of the bikes and that Remy goes on to start winning races in World Superbike and Raul rediscovers himself on the Aprilia. Something's changed. Something changed. That, that, that I can't believe that those bikes were that far apart in spec. You know, KTM always said at, at the beginning, and that's why Miguel, one of the reasons he went so well with Tech 3, was that all four bikes were all on a level. And, you know, KTM were the first team to really do that, have all four bikes on the same level. Um, if there was a little bit of a discrepancy in tech between them in, 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 in 2022, then so be it. We'll never ultimately know the precise differences, but something was difficult for a new rider to the big class to get hold of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it is also a question of style suitability. I mean, we have only one rider, I think, who was instantly good on the KTM and that's Brad uh, aside from the riders who actually developed the bike you know Zarco flopped Petrucci flopped Lequona was actually quite good from the start but never really found any sort of an extra gear so you know it's also you know it's always MotoGP you can there are always going to be riders who are pretty good on one bike and not so good on the other and the KTM probably is a bit finicky so there's also I should also add that that's also a potential explanation Hmm. Well, uh, Kitos, Elisa, from uh, from Suomi, from Finland. Next up, let's go to the UK. Hi, guys. It's James here from sunny Southampton. I've got a question regarding Alex Rins' decision um, to move to LCR Honda over the Grassini Ducati offer that he had. I'm really curious to hear your guys' thoughts on, on why Rins made that decision. Um, the Honda's clearly the worst bike on the grid at the moment. It's got a whole... Uh, range of problems um the the ducati is a is a proven winning bike even though it's the, the kind of third one down from the factory team that that didn't seem to matter to bastianini this year and i truly feel that rins could in his first year on it finish in the top five or even grab the odd podium uh combined with that obviously mark marquez sits at the top of the honda tree and he's he's not even able to win races at the moment even if the bike improves you have to feel that mark's going to almost always finish ahead of Rins um, and, and just, you know, I know it's only been one day of testing, but Rins and Mir already kind of right down the order on the Honda. Um, whereas you look at Alex Marquez and Polo Spargo, et cetera, and they're kind of already having a better time from their bike switch. I can't help but feel that Rins is going to regret that decision. So I'm just really curious to hear um, what you guys think um, the rest of Rins' career looks like really and how you think he'll fare next year. Cheers, guys. Really like the show. Thanks a lot. Hi, James from Southampton. Uh, I know a James from Southampton, James Ward-Prowse, the team's free kick master. So if you happen to be him, uh, let us know. Uh, if not, anyway, Alex Rins to LCR Honda sounded, I think, weird to all of us and still does in some way. And his reasoning for picking LCR over the other potential options has sounded weird to me. Uh, I mean, he probably could have had Grishini, definitely, almost certainly RNF would have also been an option if he showed an interest, but he prioritized having a factory spec up-to-date bike. But look, I, I, if I'm a MotoGP rider, I'd have a year-old Ducati over a current spec troubled Honda in a heartbeat. 
So I only have to imagine that either there is some sort of financial consideration at play, which yeah, is not nothing, or I think equally important, maybe Rince fancies himself being able to wrestle that factory Honda right from mere longer term and thinks that being in LCR is the best position to be in to make that happen. I don't, look, it's... I, I feel very much the same way as you. For me, it's a it's a proper roll of the dice and it might be really tough here next year. I hope not. MotoGP's better off when both Alex Rins and Joan Mir are good. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know where he goes from here. I mean, it all it will all like you can flame out like this, absolutely. But you, he could also find himself, you know, at Repsol if he's better than Mir. For me, there's a there's a third option. That makes more sense, and it's good old-fashioned Raider ego. Um, the, you know, even the even the the politest, calmest guys at MotoGP have big egos because you don't get to be the best in the world without one. And it's a big thing to go from a factory bike to a third-tier team in an old bike. Um, and I think that that maybe played a bigger role than uh, than we've given credit for in his decision. Um, Simply put, because I can't see another reason to do it. Uh, we know that yeah, he's probably getting better paid at Honda than he would do at Grissini Ducati. But he'd also have big win bonuses at Grissini Ducati. And I'm sure that uh, as a whole, Anea Bastinini has probably earned more than Alex Rins will earn next year in 2022 with his really successful season there. And it would take a lot of confidence in yourself to think that you're going to make the Honda work right now whenever Mark Marquez is struggling to make the Honda work and guys with a lot of Honda experience have absolutely failed to make it work you know um there's also the fact that you know looking at him versus his previous teammate Joan Mir um I know that Mir had a difficult 2022 but you have to think that he is the rider whose riding style is more suited to the Honda than Rins's. Rins is a smooth, careful, old school racer who looks like Michael Rudder on the bike because he's sitting upright and and it's it's he's got a unique style and I don't think that's going to work on the Honda at all. Um and and yeah, I don't understand the decision and it it very well could mean he does two years at Honda and then has to go looking for something else, unless there's other options there because I can't see him doing the Cal Crutchlow thing of riding like Marquez, but slower, so he's useful for development and winning a race every season just to keep his, his hat in the ring. There's a couple of things from my point of view. A, uh, he's got to get on a bike, and it's never going to be as good as the one that he's just left, particularly as though he's just won two of the last three races. Sod's law with a capital whatever. Um, secondly, you've just got to pick up the scraps that's all you've got to do. Thirdly, he's closer to a works ride with LCR being, you know, maybe get, get one day to, to Repsol Honda than he'll ever be at Grassini. It, it's too full at, at, at Ducati. There's too many of them. And it, on balance, he might have just gone, oh, I'm just that little bit closer to touching distance. What happens if Mark stops? What happens if Mark doesn't work? What happens if his arm falls off? What happens... If Mark falls out with Honda, because he still could, I know they've got which a deal, but they could still fall out, on. which he already is. Thank you, Val. Um, you know, that Valencia Tuesday night interview with Marquez was a bomb. Um, so, yeah, what money he's being paid, only four people in the world know. Two on his side, two on two on the on the Honda side. But it's just the it's the least worst option, Simon. That depends on whether you would prefer being a Repsol Honda rider or a MotoGP race winner. That That's what it comes down to me. It will change, though. Will it? They won't not win. But how long is it going to take? And, and he's going to be the third rider in the pecking order while it takes that time. Yeah. Piece of string. How long? Like, for me, you're, you're like he's, he's throwing away, I would go as far as to say, guaranteed race wins for the next two seasons in return for a dream that might never happen. And, and based on current form, probably will never happen. Yeah, I think you're right. And also, honestly, I would say the 2022 Ducati is better than the 2022 Suzuki. So actually, it might, yeah. might have been a, 
Even though Suzuki won the last two, and, two and, the last three. And it's offensive to talk about the 2022 Suzuki and the 2022 Ducati in the same sentence as the 2022 Honda. Yeah. yeah miles away on that one, yeah. Interesting, uh, interesting debate. Uh, thank you for that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Next up, let's go stateside. Hey guys, this is Ryan from Pittsburgh, and I have a question about the Suzuki team staff and what happens to them after this year. Um, since many of them were left unemployed after Suzuki leaves, I'm curious if other teams have been able to capture them up and maybe use that talent. It seems like a lot of those guys on the Suzuki team are incredibly talented individuals and I'd love to know what other teams are capitalizing on on grabbing that talent as Suzuki kind of departs the sport. So that's it. I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys and really love the podcast. Thank you. Hey Ryan, thanks for the question. Uh, so unfortunately what we've seen is that so some of the Suzuki staff thankfully have found other work in the paddock um we know that for example the two crew chiefs have have gone on to other jobs in the paddock and and well-deserved ones as well given their talent but unfortunately a lot of the people in that team are job hunting are out of MotoGP for next season because there's just not very much in the way of opportunities um team boss Livio Supo uh, the last time I spoke to him had nothing lined up for next year and, and told me that he didn't expect to be in the paddock next year. The incredibly talented team that did all their press and social media who were hands down the best in the paddock, best in the championship at that, won't be there next year. Um, and and then, you know, we, we don't, I haven't spoken to the entire team, so I don't know yet where, you know, some of the mechanics, some of the hospitality staff, those people will end up. But I'd imagine, given you know, given the climate in the paddock at the minute financially, we're going to see a lot of those people have to look elsewhere, which is a crying shame. Um, and on top of that, we're also going to lose, you know, you the 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 sum of the staff at Suzuki was greater than the individuals because of how well that team was gelled together, and that's something that's been you know, that that is gone. That that won't come back again, unfortunately. Regardless if you know if if someone signed six mechanics and a crew chief to go and work on their side of the garage, that's still lost. That's not coming back. So it's a shame. It's a really really big shame. Yeah, re- regarding the PR team, we should say that in the in the Suzuki PR group on WhatsApp, it was borderline more emotional than Ducati's championship when in in the final race. It was you know, grown men and women we- weeping textually, whatever that means. Weeping in real life in the media weeping center too life, when they came yeah. to say goodbye to us. Oh, there you go. Um, just you know, just to put some concrete names on it, as you said, the two crew chiefs, uh, Frankie Garcetti is heading to Grishini Ducati to work with Fabio Di Gianantonio. Uh, that's Jean Mir's crew chief. Uh, Alex Rins' crew chief, Jose Manuel Cazzo. Never been good at pronouncing Mano. Manu, all right. Uh, Manu Cazo is going to Maverick Vinales at Aprilia. And test team slash tech guru Tomo Kane is going to Yamaha. Which is the best signing of, of anyone from the Suzuki followed. Words out of my mouth. Yep. Um, Tom had been at Suzuki forever. Um, but that's a huge, huge steal. 
and an advantage to Yamaha as they go forward because uh, he's one of the cleverest people in a garage in that pit lane. They're all clever, but my goodness me, Tom is exceptionally clever. Uh, the, 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 the problem is, is there's, what are they, 35, 40 people in a Suzuki Grand Prix team and there's no other Grand Prix team. There's not a... A Piaggio team that they can all kind of just morph into. There's not another one. The The door is shut. So, you know, Alberto and Federico, let's give them names, the two press officer guys. Um, I've been helping all I can Federico because he does some work on the Dakar in the winter and trying to help him out and other things. But it's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, they will find something. They will. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's a horrible thing when something like that gets taken away from you. And I saw the pictures in the press office through the through the Twitter feeds and whatever. Uh, round of applause, and they just want to race, and they're blubbing their eyes out. Horrible, horrible feeling. I'm, I'm absolutely going to give uh, Ferry a massive shout out at the minute. Uh, the former Suzuki press officer, go and have a look at him on Instagram. He's Capitan Fetty, and he's currently riding his bike around South America. It looks like he's having a pretty good time. So that, that you know, give him a shout out for that. And uh, just to reinforce what Toby said, uh, by giving Tom O'Kane his full title, Doctor Tom O'Kane has uh, a is I think the only person I know in the paddock who has a PhD. Uh, which is is you know which he got about uh, building computer models to model how motorbike chassis work. He is a super smart guy. I, I knew that was coming when when your arm went up in the in where we recorded. I think it's really cool up. that we have an actual doctor in the paddock. He's you know not Doctor Charter. <laughs> we look forward to seeing Tom in uh, a different kind of blue next year. Meanwhile, down under. It's Irish Sean from Australia. Hi guys. Very quick question. Aprilia's two major blunders, sorry, I should say this. Aprilia and Alacia's major blunders during the season in Barcelona and the incident with the sighting lap map to save fuel. Could he have been top two in the world championship? Thanks guys, love the podcast. Hello, Sean. Um, mate, you need to find somewhere quieter to record these in the, a diesel digger somewhere in the outback. Um, <laughs> I thought he's on a John Deere. I thought he was standing next to a jet airplane's engine, <laughs> preparing to get sucked in. No, I actually, I'm actually pretty sure that he's in the outback working on diesel engines because he's a mechanic. Um, the the so obviously there was the two big Aprilia blunders. Uh, talking about the Baza team um, this season, Alish completely missing the last lap of the race and sitting up early and costing himself three places. And then the the mechanics accidentally leaving in the fuel-saving map and costing him... It's harder to say what they cost him there, but he would have scored points even though he didn't in the end. But honestly, the 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 moments that defined a previous season for me weren't those two blunders. It was the way that the team just completely fell apart in the flyaways. Um, and, and whether that was because of a lack of data with that bike at those circuits, whether it was the the sudden pressure of being championship contenders as they went into a difficult part of the year, whether it was the you know the distance from Europe and the logistical and staffing issues that that brings about it, whatever it was, um, something all combined together and, and made for just an absolute disaster for the the final four or five races of the year. Um, that that more than anything is is what I'll remember this title campaign for. Uh, I don't think enough points were necessarily conceded elsewhere to to have made a huge difference. Um, maybe that it it was the difference between third and fourth against Bastianini, but I don't think it was the difference between second and fourth or first and fourth. I mean, it would have. I think you know those. I, I'd say a higher end estimate would be like twenty points costing those two. It would be. It would be second in the constructors, it would be second in the teams, it would be third in the riders. I mean, that's not nothing. But ultimately, as Simon pointed out, and as I, you know, as I dug up, uh, in the last four races, the two Aprilia riders combined for around 6.8 points a race, which is a number you will recognize as crap. Total trash. You cannot, you cannot do anything. You cannot fight for anything top line when you're scoring at that rate. So 
yeah, I'm completely with Simon on that one. Over a 20 race season, you are going to have a race or two where <clears throat> you leave points on the table. It's inevitable. But when you're just not fast enough, that's that's different. And in the end, they were just they were really slow. They were 36 points back of second place, and they were just seven points back of third place. So could he have kept those 36 points, as you both say? Probably not. We all shake our heads on the screen. But uh, seven points that they gave away, certainly yes. So certainly he should have been third. But let's not look at the negatives. Let's look at and remember the, the emotion from winning that Argentine race. It was only the third race into the season. Uh, he had then four consecutive podiums on the trot. Portugal, Jerez, Le Mans, Mugello. How... How inspiring is that for an Italian team? Come on, we can do this. Then he had a fifth. Then he had another fourth, another fourth. Um, uh, Silverstone, seven points. I can't remember what happened there. Why he had a bad day. Was it just a bad day? Can't remember. We all shrug our shoulders. And then he got going again with a podium in Aragon. And then it all just went ping tong. Um, but what a shame. But they know where they went wrong. And I don't know Rivola. But you do, Simon, and I sense now that Levio's gone, he's right up there with, with the Jarvis on how to run a team and how to run it well. 100%. They will work on where they went wrong rather than, yeah, we know what we do well, that's fine. Now let's work on what we're bad at. And, and before the flyaways ended, both him and Alicia Spagaro were already talking about identifying what went wrong and, and how they needed it to fix it for next year, which is, you know, I guess, arguably the sign of a good leader when you're willing to put your hand up and point out that you made mistakes and address them. Um, so hopefully that is rectified by next year. Um, whether it means throwing staff or resources or whatever, maybe it just means having the experience that they now have. Maybe it means hoovering up some people from other teams to bring experience in. But I get the impression that what can be done to fix it will be done. Yeah, it would suck for Aprilia, but Ferrari should absolutely go get Massimo Rivoli. <laughs> I mean, th there is precedent with Davide Breville. Yes, which, which hasn't really worked, but I think, yeah, I think but this one they would have a much, much better chance. Okay, we've got four questions remaining. Next up. Hey, guys. Ted here in Pittsburgh. I have two questions. First is about uh, following another rider during qualifying. I understand how the draft can be helpful, but what exactly do they mean by a reference? Are they talking about looking at the rider in front of you and using him for cues on how to go faster? And how is that super helpful when there's always different riding styles and different bikes need different lines? Uh, the other question is about Augusto Fernandez next year. So he's obviously going to win the Rookie of the Year. Are they going to have the normal pomp they have for the Rookie of the Year? I mean... I don't want them to shortchange Augusto, but it does seem kind of silly, don't you think? All right, that's it for now. Uh, love your podcast, and it's always the first one I listen to when it comes out, and definitely my favorite MotoGP podcast. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, Ted. Thanks for listening. Um, so first of all, the, the references. Um, I think what, what writers are talking about whenever they explain that is the easiest way to explain it maybe is – when you're driving on a country road in your car... You've stolen my one. I was going to say that. <laughs> and there's no one in front of you. You you drive... You you have to think more. Whereas when you're the car behind another car, it, the, 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 the process of driving comes more naturally. It becomes more fluid. You think less about it and you have more time to then think about other things like the exact point where you're braking and and you know the exact point where you're hitting the throttle the exact apex of the corner uh and that's more than anything else what they're talking about whenever they say a reference i'm sure there's a psychologist out there somewhere who could explain in much more detail than i could why that process works that way in the human brain but it seems to work that way um and that's that's what you know that's why they do it as much as getting a draft is beneficial at some circuits i think having that sort of person to help the brain concentrate is even easier uh regarding augusto fernandez's rookie of the year title i doubt we're gonna see special t-shirts to celebrate it the way we did with marco bezecchi but i think the come the end of the season and the the award ceremony uh on the 
Sunday night in Valencia, there will still be a trophy for him to be presented with because I'm pretty sure Tito Rabat has one. Yeah, and Michelin always celebrate their championship, even though they're a sole supplier, and so do Triumph, and so would Dunlop. So you've got to roll with that. You've got to roll with that. I love it when Pirelli wins Formula One Grand Prix. Really warms my heart. Yeah, they they print the ter- they print the t-shirts and the trophies in February, don't they? But uh, yes, yes, it always knocked Neil Spaulding. Hey, we've won. Yeah, but you knew that. But uh, that's another story. That's another story. Yeah, you're absolutely right about following uh, a car down a country road. Not, of course, that I've done it at speed. You must understand that. Uh, um, Next up, we've got a written question. So we're going to make a little exception for Martin Darlington. Uh, I don't know where you are in the world, Martin, but uh, thanks for writing in. I'm primarily thinking, he says, about Enea Bastianini, but it could equally apply to to Giantonio and whether you think there are more pros than cons to being outside the VR46 establishment or vice versa. With three other Ducati riders plus Morbidelli coming from that stable, how does it help that they've reached the promised land? Many thanks. Appreciate all of your content through the off-season. Thanks, Martin. Uh, Yeah, we kind of touched on it earlier, though, didn't we? Is it better in than out? I said maybe it works if you're out, like it did for Bastianini, and Martin has ironically (laughs) asked the question. Yeah, I think it it in part comes down to personality. Um, Some prefer to be inside the academy and have that support network around them. Some prefer to do their their own thing. It's no surprise to me at all that Fabio Di Giantonio is not in the VR forty six academy because of his personality and his is you know he strikes a bit of a lone wolf figure. Um, in that he likes to do his own thing. He's I think he's quite different from a lot of writers. He uh, you know you can tell from the way that he uses his social media, from the causes he promotes on his social media that he's a little bit different. Um, and I don't think it would necessarily suit him inside the academy. We've seen other guys you know come into the academy and leave again because it didn't suit them. It, it isn't the perfect world for everyone. Yeah. Um, look at Romano Fanati, um, who who left in part because he didn't like the fact that the academy are based in Tavulia and you have to be in Tavulia and that was that was one of the factors that led to him being unhappy there. What was the other factor, Simon? What else what else happened to <laughs> well, no, no, it, it like his his departure from the academy and the team came about because he had a fight with the team in, in Austria. But it was a culmination of of deep unhappiness with his entire situation. Um and I think that has kind of been Fanati's problem, you know, without going off on a tangent, is that whenever he's not happy, he's not fast and he's not competitive. And, and that's not an unusual thing for riders. Um, so, yeah, it works for some. It doesn't work for others. And I, I think right now they've done well and that they've got a good bunch together for whom it all does work for. But it has taken a while to get there and it's taken a few hits and misses. Oh, and I should say hello to Martin, who is, I'm pretty sure, in Doha, Qatar. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I. It strikes me as something where there's, I'd say there's more pros than cons, even if you take outside the whole like, do you like to be friends with a group of riders who you then take on on track type of thing? Just because I, from what I've read, the financial terms are pretty good, and there's no, there's no tie to a manufacturer that hamstrings your career, as far as I can tell, like. There's a team that you can aim for in VR46 Ducati now, but we also have, you know, there's a VR46 rider at Yamaha. I think there was talk about Celestino Vietti going to RNF Aprilia. It didn't materialize, but the fact that it was possible to begin with, it's a good sign. So it doesn't, I guess some junior programs might limit you in other areas. And it feels like VR46 is pretty happy to just, you know, take care of its own seemingly partly regardless of the commercial motivations so it's you know we don't know the exact details of the contracts it's it's a good gig it's it's really it's really impressive in how it's been set up okay uh yeah now you mention it simon i do recognize his name and i didn't realize he was in that part of the world okay then uh let's go a little bit further afield Hi guys, big fan of the podcast and a new 
uh, MotoGP fan calling here. Um, I got into MotoGP over the pandemic. My partner is a super fan and I started watching with him and I absolutely love it. It's the only sport I've ever followed in my entire life, um, but I'm super into it now. So when I started watching, uh, when I started watching the sport over the pandemic, there were restrictions, so there are less people on the grid. With the ease of restrictions, bring back, it brings back the grid girls. Um, I find it really awkward and uncomfortable to watch these girls standing on the grid, hypersexualized, objectified, holding umbrellas. They're never interacting with anybody. They never seem part of things. They just stand there really as sexual decorations. Um, and I find this really strange. Is it appropriate? Is it okay um, to be objectifying women on the grid? When I watch the sport, I don't want to be thinking about feminism and politics. I just want to be watching the sport. What do you guys think about this? Thank you so much. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for the question. Uh, it's always good to have new fans of the sport listening in as well, because it brings a different perspective. Uh, if you if you follow me on social media, uh, you'll know that this is something that I'm not a fan of. I, I don't like that we have great girls there because it it it, it it's unnecessary. It, it's just there's just no need for it. It's something that, as far as I'm concerned, belongs in the past. Uh, in an era when motorsport was very, very different from it is now and when the motorsport fan base was very, very different from what it is now. Uh, th there are arguments against it, or for it, sorry, I should say, that get rolled out on a regular basis about it providing opportunities. Uh, I don't buy them, plain and simple. Um, so my, my soon-to-be wife is a former grid girl who has went through the, the gamut of transformation from, you know, being given the opportunities that it provided to now seeing it for what it is. And and to be honest, that is <laughs> remarkably exploitative practice because I think everyone thinks that all these girls are getting well paid to be there. L let me tell you, they are not. There is a very small number of them who are probably getting paid at all. The rest are there for experience or the opportunity. And that's not, that, that that shouldn't no one should be working for free in MotoGP for a start let alone in a role that involves essentially walking around the paddock getting groped and sexually harassed because that happens as well because guys in the paddock want photos with them and hands wander and girls don't say anything about it that is a part of being a grid girl and it's also completely unacceptable but you know how do you fix it without getting rid of the grid girls um yeah if, if it ended tomorrow, I would not for one second lose any sleep over it, let me tell you. Uh, if it ended tomorrow, I'd also be okay. And, you know, what, what, what Sarah says is, you know, it's disheartening to hear because it reminds me that I, you know, I have a friend who also, you know, was relatively new to racing, also from the United States, uh, coincidentally, and was genuinely unnerved and got a fairly bad impression of the sport by seeing women... I don't like to use the word scantily clad because it makes me sound like a prude, but you know what I mean. Women being used as parts of the presentation rather than rather than the show, if that makes if that makes any sense. Um, there's nothing wrong with modeling. Like let's just throw it out there. Uh, in theory, obviously, all the issues Simon has described, I, I have zero doubts about that they exist. But there is nothing wrong with the practice and theory. There is nothing wrong with working through through your beauty. That's absolutely fine. And to say it's not fine would be not progressive. It would be wrong. Um, but MotoGP is not a modeling show. And that's, you know, this is not modeling. This is sport. This is, we are here to watch racing motorcycles. Um, this is not supposed to be an inherent part of that. It can be if you really feel like it. But then the problem is that clearly by doing that, you manage to alienate a lot of people from the outside, people of a specific gender who feel like this is not for them and who feel like the only representation they see on screens, besides maybe some you know team personnel of which there are not many, are women standing on the grids as objects of presentation. And and you know I said I'd I'd be happy if it went away tomorrow. I would be probably equally happy if there was a rule brought in by Dorna or by whoever that said you're allowed to have promotional models but you have to have a 50-50 gender split and they exactly. have to wear a team uniform. Exactly. Take away the scantily yeah. clad element of it. Take away the inherently sexist element of only having women 
and then it's suddenly much less of an issue. At Donington, Mudder GP, oh, take a breath now. Whenever it was, 10, 12, 15 years ago, there was a sponsor, one of those disappearing sponsors um, of the race, and they had the umbrella girls and guys, or did they do a complete guy? I think it was the whole grid was umbrella guys, and they were all gym guys, and they were all muscly, and they are all hunky, and of course all the girls went, oh, hello, Tiger, you know, because it was something different, because it was something different. Uh in the past, whether or not you like it or not, sex has sold. You go to Eichma. It's a massive motorcycle show in Milan. It's every year. It's in November. There are a lot of girls over a lot of bikes. Um, whether or not you think it's right or wrong, that's what Italy does. They're a bit more. What did Julian always used to say in the high car? Oh, I've turned on the television. I thought it was something a little bit after hours for a film. Oh, no, it's the news. You know, that's what they do. It's a different culture. You go to Japan. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, but at the A-Tower, it's a massive thing, isn't it? That umbrella girl thing at the Suzuka A-Tower endurance race. And the most scantily clad uniforms of the season. They are very scantily clad and whatever. Um, um, a, a lot of girls love doing it. So who are we to say that they don't... Why, why should we stop? They love doing it. Uh, so, some girls love doing it. Uh, some girls have done it for a bit of a laugh. My wife did it for a bit of a laugh because she happened to be there at the right place at the right time at Silverstone one year and ended up on pole position. I took a friend from the pub um, to Australian race one year and we met up because she was travelling around Australia and I said, do you want to be an umbrella girl for a team? She only ended up with two pole positions and it was just a laugh. But they weren't dressed in a pair of like lycra things or whatever it was team uniform and you know they both looked very classy um there's a balance to be struck somewhere as you point out and as you rightly point out a lot of the girls who do it love it and look i'd feel pretty crappy if somebody went out and said the job that you do it shouldn't be there obviously you know this is an an emotionally complicated question but for me the flip side of that is there's a lot of argument that obviously grid girls in certain championships also get to do other stuff, to which I would say primarily hire them for that other stuff, because that's the that stuff is part of the championship ticking along. Like it's a it's it's a very it's a very complicated one. It it clearly is. Um for me, I'm I'm pretty much a hardliner. I think it's a bad look for the championship in terms of wanting to attract a more varied fan base. And I'm if if you know if it if it gets shut down as a practice, I am deeply sorry for the people who are going to lose commercial opportunities because of that. And honestly, I don't I don't mind what they're wearing. Whatever the, it's the it's the concept itself. I don't think they should be you know like however dressed or undressed they are. That's for me a totally different question. It's just the the principal point of whether they should be there, whether this is a right thing to include as part of the show. Um, just you know, I'm gonna go back to something from a few years prior. Sorry to hold you up, Simon. Um, remember when F1 ditched grid girls, and there was this whole thing where the Russian Grand Prix, in particular, really wanted them back, and was you know was chatting to Formula One about having them back. And I remember seeing on what was then my national TV, uh, seeing an ad for the Russian Grand Prix that described the race as something like a male protest against F1's grid girl ban. And the promo was all all clips of grid girls. There was no racing in that ad, if I remember correctly. I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to go looking it up, and I, I'd imagine I'd struggle to. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of message it sometimes sends. I do not want that message to be out there. Simple as. Maybe some people are okay with that kind of thing. I'm not. This So for me, I stand on one side of this issue unfortunately and, and to make a broader point that covers both what, what both of you have just said um i think uh, a fundamental problem that MotoGP has still got these days is that we tend to look people within the paddock tend to look at certain situations through the eyes of their own nationality and that is what you said about uh, Italy and and how people in Italy and Italian TV are presented, or it's how the organisers who are Spanish still think it's appropriate to invite along bullfighters to races as VIP guests. I've got more of a problem with that 
than the girls. I, I've I've got a problem lover. with both of them. I've got a problem with both of them. Yeah. But but from a from a strictly commercial point of view, we're trying to grow our championship in a time when it's struggling. And I'm not saying that we should play to the common denominator or anything as lazy as that, but we need to be more aware of the voices from people who have traditionally not necessarily been MotoGP fans like Sarah, who'd like to be. And we we need to do more to accommodate those people as a whole. Um, I'm not joking, but there is an engineering side to this, which is if you're out on the grid in Thailand or Malaysia, you need an umbrella. Who's going to hold it? So the, there needs to be somebody somewhere. You know, there's a friend of mine. We managed for two seasons during COVID when Grid Girls went yeah, alive. Yeah, which is my next point, which is my next point, which is, you know, there's a friend of mine. Uh, she's team coordinator for a world superbike team. And sometimes they don't get an umbrella girl and she's there holding it. But she's not the umbrella girl. She's the team coordinator who happens to be in the... Oh, can you, can you come to the grid and hold the umbrella? But people will look at her and go... Oh, she is she the brig, is she the grid girl? No, she's the team coordinator. She's got a real job doing, you know, da 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 throughout the season for the team. So we mustn't be too judgmental. But she's also probably not wearing a tiny skirt in the process. No, she's not. And she's wearing the, team kit, exactly, team kit, exactly. team kit. And and that's uh, yeah. you know the the issue I made at the start about the other things that come with it. She can probably, I would say, walk through the paddock back to the garage after the grid without any risk of someone stopping for for a photograph and groping her bum. Uh, exactly. Exactly, exactly. I mean, a couple of years ago, there were Umbrella Girls in MotoGP. They flew them around the world. Really? We're trying to reduce a carbon footprint? Can't you find somebody locally? Really? Finding some finding someone locally normally means finding a girl off Instagram who follows the rider and will do it for free. It's incredibly exploitative. Which, I mean, there's a risk of sounding dismissive here, and I think it's important to acknowledge being a grid girl is absolutely a real job. Modeling is a real job. There is, I have no no qualms, no questions about yep, that. One hundred percent. So it's just you know, it's the philosophical opposition to it rather than the opposition to the specific people, which is a you know, it's a hard line to draw for me, and it's you know, it's not one that might be too valuable. Like a person might go, oh, you're just you know, you're just opposed to what I do. You're not opposed to me personally. Oh, thanks so much for that. That means nothing. But you know, that's how I have to be honest about this again. This it, it is a real job. You, you, I know those people work hard, but we don't need it. Okay, controversial, but we've uh, discussed from all sides. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Finally. Hi, Toby, Simon and Val. My question or discussion starter is about next year's sprint races. If the aim is to get more eyes on a Saturday, why not make it a team's championship? It would mean Sunday's Grand Prix can keep his prestige, and as it's a team championship, you could have the ability to replace riders for sprint races. Imagine Top Rack on a Yamaha, Pedro Acosta on a KTM, or Ayagura on a Repsol Honda. If you went a step further you could, and get Michelin to test their front tyre in a sprint race, it doesn't have to last as long, and you could have the whole field testing every race weekend in proper racing conditions. Go a step further, teams could run development aero and engines, but they have to announce what it is if they want to test it so that the fans can stay fully engaged on the development race. I'd love to know what you guys think, as personally, I think the above would certainly get me excited for a Saturday race. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. 
what good ideas it's something different um i i'm i'm not a fan of these saturday sprint races i think it waters down the main event of the weekend the main event of the event of the fortnight you know growing up i'd look forward to a grand prix and here is sunday and now it's just watered down what have we got simon 42 races 42 races and it's half points on saturday and it's the normal full points come come sunday i love qualifying and that to me has been without sounding old and traditional you know that saturday afternoon the ultimate lap yay right now i can look forward to seeing my mates down the pub tonight and then i get up in the morning and we watch the grand prix and more is not always more more is not always more. I think we're stuck with it. I had this vain hope that through the winter they would announce, oh, do you know what, uh, maybe we'll only do 10, maybe we'll only do eight. Formula One are doing six. And they've got even more Grand Prix. What have they got, Val? 23 uh, next year on the... 24 or on, maybe 23, 24 something like on that, the Canada, yeah. which is in, in itself ridiculous, more than half the year. Um, but I, I'm just not a fan and I... I'm dismayed by it all. I have to be quite open and honest about it. And that kind of leads into my view that, you know, Joe has delivered some really good ideas. He has. Um, it would be great to see it, say, used, you know, we've, Val and I have, I think, both made the argument before about how MotoGP should do something like F1 do, where rookies who aren't racing for the team are allowed a practice session now and then. Um, but none of that's possible with the MotoGP uh, sprint race format because the whole thing was a rushed knee-jerk reaction that came out of nowhere and wasn't even communicated to the riders beforehand. So we've got this, you know, it, it wasn't discussed, it wasn't planned, it wasn't negotiated, it was just imposed. Uh, and that meant that there was no room for anyone to come up with any of these ideas. Maybe if they had said, we're going to do six next year, and maybe work on the format and whatever, we would be in an opportunity to deliver something like this for 2024, but that, that's just not going to happen because we aren't being given a choice in whether or not they're happening or how they're happening. They're just happening. And I'd tune into those six because I'd be like, oh, 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 what, what's it going to look like? But no, there's 21 of them. I think those are a bunch of interesting, good ideas. I'm not sure how many of them would be easily applicable because, you know, with the rookie riders... You don't want to throw them into races too early, I think. And, you know, MotoGP doesn't have the, the easiest time with getting stand-ins. And it's it's not like F1 when there's a gaggle of reserve drivers available. Not, not quite that in terms of speed and in terms of safety, I think. In terms of, you know, them crashing in packs just, just as an idea. But it's, you know, it's an interesting idea to explore. And I also think that there wasn't a whole lot of format thinking going on. Let's put it that way. And obviously Dorna can and should dispute that. Uh, teams championship only also interesting. I'd maybe, I considered like almost making a standalone sprints championship. Championship. But you, yeah. yeah. But you'd also, you'd also want to make sure that it counts towards something main yeah. championship because exhibition races suck. They're trash. They're completely pointless nonsense. I, I, I will not have any exhibition races in my MotoGP. Never. So, I don't know. It's, a, it, it's one that's worth thinking about a lot, I think. I, as you can tell, I'm a big believer in less is more. You know, that's why the Suzuka eight hours is, oh, which weekend is it? Oh, oh, oh. You know, there was, a, there was an email press release from the FIM yesterday going, we've moved the date and everybody read it in our world because it's moved from the end of July to the 6th of, 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 of August next year. There's only one Le Mans 24 hours, bikes and cars. There's only one Dakar. There's only one Baja 1000. Uh, I sat next to the boss of Le Mans cars on a long-haul flight to Japan a couple of years ago, Pierre Fillon. And I said, wouldn't it be great to have a Le Mans 12 hours? Wouldn't it be great to have something, you know, a little bit kind of... And we were all like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then immediately disagreed with ourselves at the end of the conversation and went, oh, but it's just going to water down the main event. And that, to me, says it all. This is a, a complete tangent off your point, Toby, but I'm deeply unhappy and frustrated that for the second year in a row, the Suzuki at our clashes with the Grand Prix race. What is up with that? 
That weekend yeah, yeah, yeah. should be a treasured and protected weekend in ground in, in all motorsport racing like it used to be. It used to be boxed off for them. Um yeah. Like Le Mans cars is now. Yeah. And it's been moved to protect the World Superbike calendars race in the Czech Republic at Most, who has thirteen rounds in their season. Come on. Mm, yeah. Uh good conversation starter, Joe. Good one. Uh send in some more uh, good ideas to uh Ideas at MotoGP.com. Um, right. Um, thank you for your... Qu- that goes straight to the trash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for all of your questions. Uh, raised a laugh. Uh, raised some controversy, uh, as always. Keep sending your questions in, your little voice messages, podcasts at the-race.com. And we will do another one in the uh, in this off season. In the meantime, Simon, thank you very much for joining us. I hope the weather gets better soon. Val, thank you so very much. Uh, you'll be back to writing about who's running Ferrari this week. And in the meantime, I'm off to uh, to light the fire because it's cold in here. Thank you all. Speak to you soon. The Athletic.